The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. I'm Ken Smith, sitting with co-host Ethan Broga. Good afternoon, Ethan. Hey, Ken. This show is designed to share with you prudent investing and financial planning techniques to help you make a lifetime of smarter financial decisions. Ethan and I are partners in Seattle-based wealth management company, Empirical Financial Services. We'd love to help you any way we can, so we uh, offer a no-obligation Check up, uh, if you will. If you, Ethan's going to give out the contact information. If you want to take advantage of that, wherever you are around the country, we are happy to help. Uh, and Indeed. please mention that you got our contact information from the show. Every week we try to talk about uh, various investing and financial planning related topics that we think are timely or current, but also have within them a kernel of um, what we would call evidence-based uh, investing or an evidence-based approach is saying, well, how can we progressively learn from uh, these issues that we tackle to make better decisions in the future? And today I wanted to go through a few things, Ethan, a few articles that um, have been in, along the theme that we've been talking last few weeks about uh, equity premiums and market expectations Um those that try to predict markets mm-hmm. relative to those mm-hmm. that don't and how uh, the average person who's struggling out there to try to figure out how they're going to retire should put all this into context. And I thought maybe we could just go over a few headlines too. What's in the financial news and I think it sounds good. Um, what's going on? Do you want to give out our contact information? Yeah, sure. I'd, I'd love to. Okay. Let's um, do that. I'm Maybe just as first as a reminder, this is a, a live show, so if you'd like to join the program today, uh, feel free to give us a call. Uh, we can be reached at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Uh, or you can reach us via email at contact at empiradio.com. And as Ken mentioned, if you'd like to um, get together perhaps and, and discuss um, or rather put a second pair of eyes on your portfolio, uh, your investment program, your retirement plan, we'd happily get together and review that with you. And for that purpose, you may want to give us a call on the uh, the direct line here at the Empirical Towers in beautiful downtown Seattle at 206-923-3474. And uh, feel free to ask for Ken or Ethan. And then also, if you're a professional out there and you're thinking about perhaps partnering up with a very well-established firm that has built, spent many years building an infrastructure to help, help best to service clients, um, Feel free to give us a call as well. We'd love to speak with you. 
Sounds good, Ethan. Sounds good. Indeed it does. Well, as you know, Ethan, I, I'm a pretty avid reader, and I've been reading a lot of material since our last show. And uh, But I, I you know, just thought I'd read through a couple of Wall Street Journal alerts I got here. The federal government filed a civil lawsuit against Bank of America alleging the second biggest U.S. bank by assets saddled taxpayers with losses by misrepresenting the quality of home loans it sold to mortgage finance firms, Fannie what? Mae and Fannie. This Freddie is Mae. shocking. Do you find that appalling? or what, what? Well, definitely appalling, but I, I guess I'm being facetious. It really isn't that surprising with all the stuff that's been going on here with the mortgage uh, mortgages in the last several years. So, Yeah, I know. So... The action filed Wednesday in federal court in Manhattan seeks at least $1 billion in damages. The filing represents a novel effort by government to defray costs tied to the 2008 bailout of Fannie and Freddie and potentially opens a new front against banking industry, a banking industry already dealing with hefty legal costs. I always like to say, keep in mind that, um, in my view, there's a culture pervasive within companies that doesn't stop in one particular uh, segment of that company. So the part that we would be concerned about, right, was this is the point of our show, is individuals getting their their financial advice from different arms of traditional banks, brokerage houses, wirehouses. Um, and right. in the meanwhile, these firms are constantly in the media Right. And, and being, getting their hands slapped, if not, um, and we'll see what comes. I don't want to accuse someone of being guilty until all the data's up, but there's been several things that have already been done. Um, and we can go through the list, but. Yeah, you may be aware, Ken, but Wells Fargo just earlier in the month was, was being sued for the same thing, mortgage fraud, basically, to be investigated for that. And they they expect to be, you know, the fines would be pretty, pretty substantial. Same type of thing there. I think we as a public, if we don't want these types of things to continue, we can vote with our dollars um, and choose not to do business with companies that continuously run into ethics issue right. issues uh, for the pursuit of short-term profits. Right. Next on, on, on my list here, um, Ethan, was... Uh, Along that line, um, remember uh, good old Rajat Gupta? Yeah, I do. The former Goldman Sachs director convicted in June of insider trading for passing along corporate yeah. secrets received a sentence of two years in prison and one year of supervised release on Thursday in, in New York. Gupta, 63, the former head of consulting firm McKinsey & Company. Oh, wow. Also was ordered to pay a five million dollar fine. Prosecutors had asked uh, U.S. District Judge Jed Rakoff for an eight to ten year sentence for Gupta as a part of a wide ranging probe into insider trading. The defense, uh, which had asked for probation plans and appeal, so I we had talked about that a long time ago. I do remember that. I just yeah. thought it was interesting when I read that. Uh, that's what's going on, and you know the market was up a little bit today, but uh, Apple missed. Earnings expectations. Uh, Amazon post loss, and uh, in the last week or so, you know, we've seen the market decline precipitously as a result of some poor earnings coming in. Right, and um, so that's what's going on. 
And I think it's interesting to uh, use that as a lead into my discussion about another paper that uh, Eric had just, our research director, passed me this week. That was written by uh, three people, Joseph Engelberg, Carolyn Sassville, and Jared Williams, mm-hmm. um, t- titled Market Madness, The Case of Mad Money. And they wrote a, a research paper and they studied uh, the results of the uh, CNBC popular television show, Mad Money, hosted by Jim Cramer. Oh, I've heard of that. And we've talked about it various times on the show. <laughs> you know, hey, this... I wish somebody actually cataloged yeah. accurately all his recommendations. Well, they went ahead and did that. Oh, wow. So I'm sure if he's on tonight, I I try not to watch it because I do get a little irritated. It's not great advice, in my opinion, in this paper. Reaffirms that. And by the way, all the papers and articles that we'll talk about, we'll post links on our website that you'll be able to find on empiricalfs.com, E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. And it's kind of funny even because uh, Simon and I were talking about our website and some people think it's empirical calves. Uh, empiric calves is what it empiric looks like. Uh, but we're not ranchers. We're not farmers. No. We are advisors. No. And uh, anyway, we'll put these papers because this one's about 37 pages long. It's the real deal. And I thought I would give you maybe the half a paragraph synopsis of it. Um but it's, I'm very, I want to thank them personally for putting this out of me. We can get them on the show, start getting some guests in here and get one of them on the show. I'd love to do that. Good idea. Uh, make a note of that, Simon. You should be writing that down. Um, <laughs> just kidding. So the abstract of this was that they, they wanted to test Jim Cramer's theories. I'm sure he'll be talking about, my point was Apple and Amazon and all these companies. And a variety of things that are going on in the market today in the news, right? And the market's already made some pretty significant price adjustments to reflect whatever today's news is. But I'm sure he will talk and be none too short of ideas for you, Ethan, to invest your hard-earned cash in his his winners or or avoid his losers. I bet you're right. So what he what they found in this, though, if you look at the stock recommendations on, on the show, Mad Money. Um, they, they, they constitute attention shocks to large audience of individual traders. And they find that the stock recommendations lead to large overnight returns, which subsequently reverse over the next few months. Using the daily Nelson ratings, they basically measured, uh, further, Ethan, that there's a correlation to nights where there's a heavier audience watching. Okay. To the effect on the next day, um, of the stock. I see. And so the conclusion, I will give you all the academic jargon here, but the general uh, short conclusion is stocks, if you bought a basket of stocks that Jim Cramer recommended and you bought them the, before the show, so say it's the night before the show or an hour before, you know, before the market closed today, yeah. say he's going to be on later tonight, I don't know what he's going to recommend. But now I have the ability to do that, I can I can go back in time or whatever. And I went to today and I bought an equally weighted portfolio of all the stocks that he recommends or will recommend. Okay, the return you will get is no greater than what you would expect from the general market. Certainly, you and I would argue you will take on significantly greater risk yeah, because you won't that. own the entire market. Sure, I'd say that. But what these researchers found is that the return from the stocks that he winds up recommending, if you had them in your portfolio. The market before he 
the day before. Before. He recommends them. There's no additional alpha or expected return. If you buy, bought them immediately after, uh, he, he, uh, recommends them, there is a short-term, uh, increase in the return of those. That is explained by the people watching the show or other people trying to arbitrage or, you know, maybe there's hedge fund managers that are saying, hey, if, if, if there's going to be, uh, a purchase of this, of these stocks because of, of, of him, um, buying them. This, th- that same portfolio created the day after he makes the recommendations though, does substantially worse than the market, underperforming by about 10% annualized for the following 50 day period. Wow. Um, so let me read exactly right out of here. I want to make sure I get this right. Okay. Cause when it comes to this, I want to be completely, <laughs> completely so, accurate. So far though, we, we determined that if you had the knowledge beforehand, the day before, it led to no advantage. Assuming you hold the stocks for a reasonable period of time. Yeah, here, let me, I'll read it verbatim here. All right. This is worth, we have three main findings, okay? First, equal weighted portfolios based on Kramer's recommendation, but formed before the recommendations are made, have no statistically detectable long run alpha. Alpha being market beating performance on a risk adjusted basis. Right. Mad Money typically airs at 6 p.m. Eastern, and the portfolios which buy recommended stocks at 4 p.m., more than two hours before they are recommended, perform no better than the market when held for 50, 150, or 250 trading days or a year, basically. Second, even though Kramer's recommendations do appear informative informative in the long run, there is a strong short-run effect. The average overnight abnormal return following Kramer's buy recommendations is 2.4%, which corresponds to an average change in market capitalization of $77.1 million. Given there is no long-run effect, this implies that the short-run effect must be temporary, and it is. Long portfolios formed the day after Kramer has made his recommendation earn an annualized alpha of negative 9.8%, at the 50-day horizon, so 50 days after, you've lost about 10% on an annualized basis yeah. of return by buying his recommendations the day after. Hmm. Uh, 6.1% at the 150-day interval, and you've lost a negative 3.2 annualized at the 250-day horizon. Uh, among the quintile of stocks that had the highest overnight return, long portfolios formed the day after Kramer's recommendation earned an annualized alpha of negative 29.54% hmm. at the 50-day, negative 16 at 150, and uh, basically at a year, you lost a negative, you had a negative 8.91% uh, alpha. So the first two findings pr- provide evidence of the media-induced mispricing. Stocks recommended on manned money have prices that immediately become too high. Right. Here's what I, here's what I'd like to point out then, Ethan. Any ideas that he's had that had increased, uh, return in any kind of way were not because his ideas were accurate. That he's identified undervalued stocks. This is what everybody listening should take out of this. And we'll go on to a couple other papers here that I think will confirm why you don't want to engage in this type of behavior unless you're doing it as a substitute to going to the casino. Or the racetrack. You do whatever you want. Right. 
<clears throat> but those of you who are actually serious about earning money and investing your money for future things like college, uh, education for your kids, retirement, maybe you want your kids to go to college. You want them to be able to afford to go to the school <clears throat> of your and their preference. This is not the way to do it. Right. Um, and the point of it is this, there, there is no value in what he's recommending, but you do take an, an increased risk and you're not increasing any return. The, in fact, most people I would suspect that are watching his show don't take advantage of the short-term price increase because it's not that he's identified stocks that were undervalued, Ethan. It's that they become overvalued after he recommends them because he recommends them. This was a problem when when I first got involved in the industry in the 90s and they, it was uh, talked about uh, there was a few prognosticator guys that would come on cnbc and make recommendations on sure. stocks would run up that day yeah <clears throat> it doesn't change the intrinsic merit of the company just because jim, jim kramer says yeah it's a buy or sell but people buying it are driving up the price and then over the subsequent holding period the stock drifts back down to its normal its fair market value mm-hmm. and so in reality what you have is a group of stocks that do about what they should about the market return but they have a short-term spike because of the fact that he recommends them, not because they're actually undervalued. Right. At the, right. The day before, they weren't great buys. He didn't add any valuable insight uh, into, hey, how can I make money relative to just owning the entire market? And what happens is for anyone who's bought the stock after he's made the recommendation and holds it, they're actually paying a penalty. Mm-hmm. They're losing money. Right. That's the reality of what's going on here. Mm-hmm. The short-term impact is affected because more people watching the show who are naively buying these stocks, uh, who are naively buying these stocks, Ethan, are yep. are paying are paying the fare, yeah. right? For the for the smart investors over time, as this they've overpaid. This is how it works. I mean, this is no, yes. How is it working? This is not. This is not an anomaly. Whenever you have, you know, Money Magazine produce, produces, hey, top, top stocks to own right now, or hey, the next Microsoft, or, you know, the cover pages of all those types of magazines, it's the exact same outcome every time. I mean, I'm sure that if there did a study on that, it'd be the same type of outcome where, hey, there may, maybe initially there's a price bump, but guess what? You're probably gonna, gonna miss that, the good part. Right. <laughs> and then if you do buy, you're probably not gonna sell it in time to, to realize the gain. You hold on to it too long and it ends up going down in value relative to the market, and you lose money. That's the same old story. I'm not surprised by that outcome at all. Okay. Well, it's a thing that we've been saying for a long time, and now we have the uh, more robust empirical evidence right. to support that, and that's the whole concept we're trying to promote that's right. what, with this empirical idea: is that you don't invest in things that you know where the data supports there's no value to be had there. This is one of those areas. I would uh, bet. I bet there's somebody out there doing this. I'd be interested to know for sure, but. Uh, if they do the opposite of the recommendation, so in other words, you sell a stock short that are recommended after after they're made public, I bet there's somebody out there doing that. I, I bet they're, you know, I mean, that'd be the way to do it if you do something. Well, that's like. probably likely how it's they're coming back into fair market value, right? The stocks are probably reasonably priced for their opportunity set mm-hmm. at the point in time where he makes the recommendation, and then smart investors are coming in saying, "Hey, now it's overpriced because people watching the show bought it for no other reason than it was recommended on the show." Right. Uh, and it slowly gravit those stocks slowly gravitate back towards fair market value. 
But I would think the average person, I'm not quite clear how they get out of the stocks, by the way, because I don't know that when he recommends one, does he come on a year or two years and go, okay, well, now go ahead and sell that one. Right. We're going to take a break. Thanks for tuning in. Empirical Investing Radio. We'll be back for the rest of the show in a few minutes. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm my name is simon Liu, portfolio manager with empirical wealth management inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307 that's 1-800-923-4307 or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at empiricalfs.com. Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, welcome back to the show, Empirical Investing Radio, your co-host, uh, Ethan Broga. Um, if you'd like to join the show today, feel free to give us a call here at, in the uh, studios at 866-472-5790, or if you'd like to uh, participate via email, that's fine too. You can reach us at contact at empiradio.com. And, and can you know, I'd be interested if uh, there are, are any listeners out there who have either taken the advice of Jim Cramer to buy a stock or you know, bought a stock based on a recommendation from uh, a financial magazine, 
Um, I'd like to hear what your outcome was. You yeah, maybe we're making much ado about nothing. Maybe no one actually ever listens to him anyway or does take any of his advice. And maybe all the callers. It's possible. You know, with, because he does seem to know a lot about companies uh, that the few times I, I have, um, I mean, there's what, 5,000 listed stocks on the exchange. And when he has his lighting round, I don't know how you already, how do you memorize the financial data of 5,000 companies? Well, he's not doing that. He, he has, uh, oh, okay. you can't That's call good. and ask about any company. You can ask about any company, but you may not be on the show or not, unless it's among specific companies. Okay. And maybe he has a list of 50 yeah. he follows. And if you ask questions on those, bingo, you're on the show. Okay. That's probably more. So maybe it. like one that he recommended in the past, because uh, he he may not come back to it. And a listener might call and say, well, "What do you think about that?" And it happens to be one that he recommended, so he knows it. Is yeah, that, yeah. Okay. I mean, they screen the callers, right? And then they yeah. have a list of acceptable, you know, topics or or stocks to talk about. I'm guessing. Okay. I mean, that's how I would do it. Right, you don't want to be stumped on the show. Well, I think the next article, Ethan, uh, and the, again, that the name of the article we were just talking about. Uh, it's more of a research paper, actually, and we'll like, post the link on our site, empiricalfs.com, E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. And the name of that is Mar- Market Madness, question mark, The Case of Mad Money. And uh, we'll, we'll put that up there. I think it's pretty interesting, and I'm going to start posting all the articles that I come across. And also, we'll, on our blog, on our webpage, we're going to be writing about all the interesting articles that we See, and the goal of this again is to is to help help our listeners become smarter investors. And what you have to do is, when you look at a study like this, Ethan, and the next one I'm going to talk about, um, is not it's 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 hard hard to do this, but you have to try to not extract yourself from that and say, well, that's Jim Cramer. Um, what I'm really trying to do with this, Ethan, because I'm just an average guy that growing up and becoming adult wanted to learn how to invest, right? Uh, and I want to make as much money as I can for my family so my kids can go to college or I can retire comfortably or I can support my parents if they need help, you know, if they're not able to fully cover the costs of unexpected medical expenses. I want to be able to, to have, it's, it's not that I need to go around driving a, a Lamborghini like you, Ethan, uh, <laughs> or a hybrid camera. <laughs> you choose. Uh, Equally cool. That's though. not what I'm trying to do. And I think most of the people that we work with, yeah. um, whatever level of that, whether they're $10 million of liquid investable assets, um, or it's a million dollars or half a million, um, most of the people that we work with aren't just accumulating for the sake of having random material things, but they're, very near and dear to their hard type of issues that they're trying to address. Sure. Uh, and so why are we so passionate about this? Um, and, and for me, it's because that's what it represents. If, if this is things that money that you don't care about or you know, you're just the type of person that wants money for the sake of having it anyway, so you'll take a, a long shot, right? Odd at the casino or whatever to try to, Turn something into a million dollars. This is not the show for you anyway. Working with our company is not the company for you. We're here to find out the best, most scientific ways of connecting deep, meaningful values of why you're investing in the first place to the best solution, one that's an evidence-based solution. And I was doing a little brush up on that of what is evidence-based investing and how that relates to the medical yeah. aspect of it. Sure. So the next article here, Ethan, uh, that I got a hold of was um, 
Uh, day traders lose big, still live in denial. 77% of American traders are, quote, losers, while 82% of uh, day traders in Taiwan and China are even bigger losers, quote, losers. I'm not saying they're losers. That's the title of the article. And losers being the definition of they're not beating the market. Losing they're actually money. underperforming right. the market. And they're, and they're losing money. Um, behavioral finance researchers have studied the performance of stock market traders in both America and in Asia. So you're getting a cross-country test here, independent markets, to say that is this anomaly just some, a function of, say, the U.S. market? Or is it, do we see it in other markets as well? Does trading, active trading, and commissions coming down, right, and technology coming up, in the ability over the last decade plus for people to day trade and what gets purported on these commercials, right, Ethan, by the major discount brokerage companies um, is, hey, you can be a smart trader, get the prof- tools that professionals yeah. use. They got All the that garbage, there, yeah. right? Yeah. And don't pay to get it. Why would you get advice in the first place when you don't need it? You can be your own advice. That's right. And, and trade like a pro. Well, the problem is... They're getting, they're they're getting horrible results, and it's not getting any better. It's actually getting worse. And so, in this study, uh, despite cultural differences across the different markets, um, you know, transaction costs, not just commissions, because those aren't that high, but there's a lot of costs in trading, right? That that aren't necessarily that eight dollars, or in some cases, you can even. Open an account and trade for free. Right. Uh, there's bid ass spreads that you're not going to avoid um, because your broker does only charges you eight dollars, or that may not even be the real big cost. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. Probably but, not, right? No, not anymore, right? Not anymore, but yeah. there's still it's still a transaction cost to trade. So don't be fooled that getting a, a cheap brokerage commission is all that you have to worry about in terms of the cost of trading. Yeah, I mean, maybe we should talk about the the spread, for example. If you bought a stock for ten bucks, you could not immediately sell the same stock for ten bucks because of the spread. If all you did was turn it around, right, you've lost money. Right. Um, if you bought it for for ten bucks and you want to immediately, instantaneously sell it, the spread means that you'd only be able to sell for some amount smaller than what you bought it at. Maybe it's nine dollars eighty cents, something like that, per share. So you immediately lose money in that situation. So there's definitely costs embedded there. Now, the bigger the company, the tighter and the more narrow the spread is. True. Um, but the more heavily covered those companies are, it's very hard to trade in and out of a, a company uh, like, say, an Apple or Microsoft that trades um, millions of shares a day. Right. Uh, because you have some insight or trading strategy over the rest of the market. Right. Unlikely, right? Uh, that's so there's the kind of an inverse correlation there. Less... Followed companies tend to have less liquidity and wider spreads. Right. So even if you had some additional insight, you have to be able to cross a higher hurdle um, there. So I'm just watching on Yahoo Finance. If you just go there, you see Apple. Right now they're showing a bid of 601 and a penny and an ask of 601 and, tw- and uh, 50 cents is what they have. Oh, okay. It's probably tra- that's probably the tra- after hours trading. So mm-hmm. spreads probably a little wider there. But point being that you'd you'd be losing if you did that back and forth all day long, you'd be losing money. Right. Um, 
So just a couple of things on this I, I thought were interesting in the short article. And again, we'll post the link up to this one. Great. Um, he talks about uh, uh, the author of this, uh, Paul Farrell, looks like, posted this. He said, um, it was billed as, uh, let's see here, passive investors who bought and held with only a 2% turnover had an average return of roughly 8 uh, Let me back up. In spite of cultural differences, the results were virtually the same. Why? Due to high transaction taxes, bad decisions. The bottom line is simple. The more you trade, the less you earn. In fact, 80% of all day traders lose money. In researching the Americans, the study found that active investors who turned over their portfolios 258% annually made less than 12% on their money. Passive investors who bought and held with only 2% turnover had an average of roughly 18%, which is about 50% higher than the returns of the active investors. Still, investors believe they can beat the street simply because the Wall Street hype machine has programmed them to believe that myth. Wow. Um, And he talks about a debate that he had with um, a guy named Jim uh, John Molden, the author of Bullseye Investor and Millennium Wave Investments. Oh, yeah, Millennium Wave. Um, he publishes a newsletter and is an advisor and blah, blah, blah. Um, and he doesn't like a buy-and-hold type of a strategy. He thinks you need to be very active, trading in and out of things and using um, esoteric strategies, hedge funds, alternative strategies, things like that. Um, if you don't, you're going to be a loser and retire a pauper, basically, is what his notion is. <laughs> so who won the debate, the buyer hold or the hyperactive bullseye? Well, um, he goes on to explain in this article, well, uh, certain investors are, are born with a DNA makeup that makes them more tenant, uh, gravitate more towards a buy and hold approach. Okay. Or others, no matter what, no matter how much they lose um, – are convinced I will beat the market type of people. And for them, it's kind of a, a drug. Um, and we see the same studies on people who get addicted to gambling. Yeah, sure, sure. It's not that logically, if they could think rationally, they don't realize they're losing money. Yeah. Um, it just doesn't change their viewpoint on it uh, a lot. And I thought that was kind of interesting. Hmm. Um, because basically, um, you see this data that... Uh, their opinions and beliefs were already cast in stone a long time ago. To each, facts about the other are totally irrelevant. Indeed, that was a given from the start, as the ones I found, again, uh, in our so-called debate. Just before this little debate, we discovered some interesting new data from a Business Week article. The bottom line is simple. Most traders are losers. Earlier, Forbes reported on a study that North American Securities Administrators found 77% of day traders lost money, Ethan. Wow. Uh, Business Week was reporting that 82% of all day traders lose money. That data comes from a recent study by a couple of professors at the University of Taipei working in conjunction with the University of California behavioral finance professors, Terry uh, Odin and Brad Barber. And yes, that is the same Odin and Barber who researched 66,400 Wall Street investors a decade ago and concluded the more you trade, the less you earn. Wow. Hey, real quick. Uh, All right. So, eighty-two percent of of day traders lose money. Now, that must be over a particular period of time, right? Like, say, a year, for example. 
I'm not sure what the time frame is, but my point being this, there isn't, there isn't like there's, you know, 18% of the folks actually beating the market regularly. It must be like a new 82% losers every year, right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, that's something they study. There is some, it says, did the average winner did, uh, the average winning trader did in fact repeat as a winner. Okay. Um, all this research shows, it says a small group equaling about 1% of traders actually accounted for over half of all the exchanges volume. Um, so it's kind of interesting, wow. by the way. Uh, however, while those guys did make money in their trading, after transaction costs were deducted, they were net losers. The study actually went deeper. Listen to this new bit of information about a strange self-sabotaging obsession traders have to lose money. The study separated the traders into six groups depending on their past successes. Okay. The researchers wanted to see if past repeat winners repeated, and the answer is yes, but at a very high cost. The average winning trader did, in fact, repeat as a winner, netting $251 a day after transaction costs. But overall, things were so bad that 82% of the traders lost money for an average loss of $45 a day. So uh, basically, out of 925,000 traders, 750,000 of them were losers. And assuming 250 trading days, uh, each trader lost about $11,000 a year. For about an $8.4 billion loss annually. Um, the ones that, that were the top performing traders made yeah. about $62,000 a year. Um, so if you're kind of focusing on a very tiny number um, that were repeat winners, and I don't have the whole study, so I don't know how long. How this, long yeah. yeah, I think okay. it was each probably more like each year. Yeah. Um, but their point was you're facing insurmountable amount of odds yeah. and, and, a, and a, to try to get $62,000 a year to be a day trader. Do this all day long. Right. Um, most of us could hopefully, if you have that kind of wherewithal and tenacity to sit there, because you need some capital to do this, right. um, you could find more productive ways to deploy that right. to be in the 1%, right? Uh, right. You're the top one percent. You're making sixty-two thousand dollars a year. Yeah, that that's not a great deal. Not a high reward, but no. high risk there. Yeah, um, at all. Right. Interesting. It's a horrible deal. So, I think a, a couple other things that he uh, mentioned, and we've only got thirty seconds. We'll come back, and we'll, I got a couple other things I want to share. Uh, were about the other studies that have done, like the uh, Wall Street Journal Dart throwing contest. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I love that um, So maybe when we come back from the break, we can talk about that. And I want to talk about this uh, economic recovery commentary by uh, Professor Jeremy Siegel. Excellent. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. We spend 70% of our week in the office. What is the difference between enjoying your job and enduring it? The number one motivator is a positive work environment. And that's where Real Recognition Radio comes in. Join your hosts, Roy Saunderson and S. Max Brown, as they take a look at the positive factors of the workplace, such as employee rewards, recognition, incentives, and much more. Tune into Real Recognition Radio 
Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. Stock prices plunging, home prices receding, and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Okay, welcome back your co-host, Ethan Brogo, alongside Ken Smith here. Uh, if you'd like to join the program again, feel free to give us a call at 866-472-5790. Uh, if you prefer email, that's great, too, at contact at empiradio.com. And, uh, Ken, this is the last segment for today, so I think we have uh, – we're going to switch gears a little bit and, and tackle a new topic, or do you want to summarize the last one again? Well, I finished that last one. There was a couple of things. We were talking about an article called uh, Day Traders Lose Big, Still in Denial. Uh, 77% of American traders were losers, while 82% of traders in Taiwan and Chinese right. markets were losers. And the idea being, we went, talked about how following Jim Cramer's advice isn't helpful. You have these brokerage commercials constantly about promoting active trading platforms. Right. Make you a very, put the power back in your hands to be a sophisticated, smart, intelligent trader, right? They're going to give you all the tools you need to make your own decisions about that. Um, well, we just said Jim Cramer can't do it, right? He was supposedly a very successful hedge fund manager right. earlier in his career. He can't give you a stock idea that helps. So you don't think he has the tools that, <laughs> that you know they would get uh, sure. through one of the one of these discount brokerage companies that offers these day trading platforms? And it was interesting because the time period on some of this was 1995 through 99 for a part of these studies. And that was a period of time where um, some funds, mutual funds, were generating in excess of, say, 100% return right. in the year 1999. 
Um, and many were, were even over, uh, 300% in a, in a single year. So, wow. um, a couple of the really segmented internet or, uh, technology oriented funds. But it was funny because there was this thing about the chimp, chimpanzee makes chump of the best day traders. <laughs> Are you and, kidding? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and one of our favorite, uh, wow, that, one of our favorite authors, uh, um, um, Burton McKell, said, uh, um, Raven the chimpanzee, Raven created a winning portfolio by throwing darts to pick stocks, regularly beating even hot portfolio managers returning 300% annually on the monkey decks portfolio. Uh, and so the idea was that, you know, the joke was on, on these hot traders. And if you think that's, Funny. For several years, the Wall Street Journal ran a regular contest, uh, pick, pitting dart throwing versus uh, picks by the um, best analysts they could find that would okay. participate in the yeah. group. And uh, Bert McKell, in his book, said, "Hey, a blindfolded monkey throwing darts at a newspaper uh, could select a portfolio that would do just as well as one carefully selected by the experts." So. The conclusion of all this was that it, people who are doing this, um, in many cases, they're doing it for the rush they get, and they're fooling themselves into believing that they're investing when, in reality, they're just gambling. Right. Um, they're no different than just with those odds. Uh, in many cases, a casino might even actually be better. Better, odds, yeah, right. Yeah, than what they're what they're going up against. Sure. And for you, if you're a smart investor and you're looking at it as investing, you can take advantage of that. Um, and you can take advantage of that by um, building a portfolio that doesn't fall into all these traps, that recognizes, hey, frequency of trading is a direct highway to losing money. It's a direct highway to underperforming the market returns that you deserve. Um, it doesn't mean you shouldn't get professional advice. What it means is the professional advice you get shouldn't be based around a Jim Cramer type approach to beating the market or an active trading type approach to getting your investment ideas or a newsletter type of approach. Right, right. But it really should be based on sound evidence-based investment principles uh, that can attach all the different, out of all the different investment choices, literally thousands, mm-hmm. a small segment of those investments mixed in a way that will help you accomplish those more important objectives, which are what are you really trying to do here? Are we trying to build financial independence so that I don't have to work when I'm 80? Um, so I don't have to worry if something happens, uh, to, you or your spouse that the other person won't outlive the money that they have. Right. Um, I always find it interesting because when I do meet people in this category, they don't want to talk about the real issues. They'd rather talk about, well, what Kramer's talking about. Right. What stock do you like? Exactly. Um, none of that has anything to do with, are you going to, when you're gone, is your wife going to be able to support herself? Or are you more concerned about what Apple's doing today? Um, so, the last thing here, Ethan, uh, was something that's in line with what we've talked about. With We've mentioned Bill Gross, the founder of uh, and co-chief investment officer of PIMCO, a huge mutual fund yeah. complex, and it's famous for their bond management. 
um, by a guy named Jeremy Siegel who wrote a book called Stocks for the Long Run. Mm-hmm. And he's also part of the Wisdom Tree group of ETFs, exchange-traded funds. And, uh, and he's a professor. And, um, basically, you know, he says, Bill Gross, founder of the Cohen, uh, Pimco, laid down the gauntlet in a widely publicized commentary posted on his firm's website in August, in which he claimed the cult of equity, quote, is dying. Gross claimed the long-term real returns I have found in the stock market of 6.6% per year after inflation. Uh, Bill Gross said, quote, is a historical freak mutation likely never to be seen again as far as we mortals are concerned, end of quote. But I believe, and this is Jeremy Siegel, uh, equities are far from dead, and Gross's support for his claim is based on faulty data and bad economics. First, he maintains that it is economically inconsistent for stocks to have a real return that is greater than the real growth of the economy. But that claim is incorrect. Even if the economy is not growing at all, I think this is what you'll find interesting, Ethan. So I want to stay tuned. You're on the edge of seat. Let's not run out of time, Simon. Keep us posted. Even if the economy is not growing at all, capital will receive a positive return just as labor will receive positive wages and land will receive positive rents. The total return on stocks, which is shown from 1802 in the accompanying graph, just shows how it works out. Assumes that all dividends and capital gains are reinvested in the market. In the real, real world, investors consume out of dividends and capital gains so that that growth of capital stock and stock market values is not greater than the economy's rate of growth, even though the total return on stocks is substantially higher. So all he's saying is that um, I think what Bill's saying is we can't have a real return of uh, – 6.6% if the real economy can't grow at 6.6%. Okay. Um, and he's making the argument that, well, uh, that's a misunderstanding of how the returns work. Hmm. We don't have time to get too deep into it. But second, Gross implies that 6.6% return of the last century is freakish and a result of singular confluence of events, particularly a shift from labor to capital that is not likely to re- be repeated. So Jeremy says... Uh, First, the 6.6 reel is hardly freakish and prevailed in the U.S. in the 19th century as well as the 20th. And several years ago, some analysts questioned the stock return data that I had used before 1871, implying that earlier stock returns were much lower. But new detailed research by Gutsman and Ibbotson, which we've had on our show, Roger. Yeah. From Yale, uh, from Yale University of the New York Stock Exchange before 1871 shows uh, a stock return of 6.5% per year during a period when inflation was negligible. Furthermore, exhaustive research by three British economists of stock returns in 19 countries around the world from 1900 shows that stock returns dominate by a war- wide margin uh, every other asset class in every country examined. Wow. They conclude, while U.S. and the U.K. have indeed performed well, there is no indication that they are hugely out of line with what other countries and investors may not have uh, been materially misled by a focus on the U.S. Because I think that's, I've heard that argument that, well, you're just picking the winner. U.S. is one of the yeah, emerging right. markets that survived, right? And really, really uh, succeeded. Yeah. They studied 19 other countries for this effect. Yeah. Um, finally, if we have time for this, Gross's claim that the high stock, uh, stock returns have been boosted by the fall in the share of national income going to wages and salaries is also wrong. 
The decline in the wage and salary share of national income can be explained entirely by the sharp rise in benefits, mostly health care the firms pay to workers. In 1953, non-wage compensation to, to workers was 3% of GDP. But in 2011, it's almost 11%. They're saying is instead of getting cash, some of the wage uh, compensation or non-wage is going into things like medical care. Yeah, sure. It's a huge, sense. it's a larger percentage of your total actual compensation. Right. All this means is a gross prediction of a 4% nominal stock market return is far too low because equities in the U.S. and around the world are selling below their historical average PE of 15. I believe stocks will very, will very likely match, if not exceed their, their historical return. And inflation, and if inflation strikes as gross, as gross fears, I'd much rather be in stocks and bonds. I agree that stocks are not particularly good inflation hedges in the short run, but I believe that in the long run, equities have the potential to fully compensate investors for inflation. Look at the total return diagram. Although inflation has reduced the value of the dollar by nearly 95% since the end of World War II, this has had no adverse impact on the real returns of equity. Hmm. And finally, I think this will be the part that you like, Ethan, and then we can wrap this up. Can't wait to hear it. Uh, I had a chuckle when Gross referred to my Stocks for the Long Run book as an ill-timed book affirming the equity cult. My book hit the stores in May of 1994, and the return on stocks since then has been in excess of 8.3% per year. So if you count for that, right, the yeah. S&P, it's, it's, that's actually right. It's 8.3% a year. Right, right, right. Um, with a real return very close to the historical average. And that's what we talked about in our recent letter. Uh-huh. This exact exercise we were doing was how do you develop a capital market expectation or equity return premium? Right. And I was saying the most important thing is it's been 6% historically. It would, wouldn't be very difficult, wouldn't require a very high return on equities when we have a treasury rate less than 2% on a 10-year period. Right. Um, what are equities? What's the hurdle that equities have to do? Uh, it's not very hard to get there for the next 10 years from where it's we're at hurdle, today. Yeah, exactly. To have a 6% premium over treasuries, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, So anyway, he says, um, what is in fact particularly ill-timed was Bill Gross's much ballyhooed prediction <laughs> entitled Dow 5000, <laughs> which he published a few weeks before the bottom of the 2002 bear market. Uh, when the Dow Industrials was ready to run from 7,500 to over 14,000. And I'm spent. Well, that was excellent stuff, Ken. So the point of that, Ethan, do you want to, in our last couple of minutes here, I know it's probably not the most exciting thing to hear me read an article, but... Um, uh, I, I was thoroughly entertained. Yeah? I was dazzled. I was entertained. Is that not why you were here? Yeah, it was great. <laughs> uh, I love that stuff. I like, I like how the predictions with even... And there's debates among experts, right? I mean, Bill Gross is, is pretty well accepted as an expert in things, and obviously Siegel's pretty well respected as well. But I like how, uh, you know, how Siegel can, can pinpoint the inaccuracies, or at least the flaws perhaps in his logic, and come up with very good um, reasons to say otherwise. It's, it's pretty good stuff. I agree, Ethan. I yeah. agree. Well, again, if you'd like to, uh, I think we last week we had talked about you're in the process of recording a, a webinar on, our, on your retirement. Yeah, that's right. If you want to focus on something, I think that's actually extremely valuable and has a, a high degree of, of applicable uh, advice in it, then let, that'll be available where? 
Yeah, we'll have a, as soon as it's done, yeah. we're in, in, in production now. It'll be available on our website probably within, I'd say, a week or we so. we got to get the squeaking out of this chair before we can make any progress. Well, i got some very important things to do first. I have a very squeaky chair in the office here. I'm trying to work on that. But uh, and aside okay. from that, we'll also have a uh, we'll do a radio um, interview of the re- the retirement presentation again, the retirement advantage presentation we're calling it. Okay, and so we can revisit that for for, clo- for folks as well. All right. Well, you can contact us throughout the week at one eight hundred nine two three four three zero seven. Again, ask. Feel free to ask for Ken Smith or Ethan Broga. And uh, if you have any questions about your personal situation. Um, we can do that in private and give you a free review of, of whether or not you're on track to retire and uh, is your portfolio allocated and invested in a way that maximizes your opportunity. That's it for this week, Ethan. Thank Thanks you. a lot, Ken. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to Empirical Investing Radio. We'll be back again next week, Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific time. Sounds good. Have a great week. hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And for more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. We'll see you next week. 